Matthew chapter 6, as we read Jesus' teaching on prayer. Beginning in verse 5, and we're going to read down to verse 13. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in, secret, in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. And let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. The last time we were together, we were beginning to look at the disciplines of prayer. If we as God's people are to become individually a house of prayer, and I don't want to repeat the last message that I spoke, but just to say God's house is what? A house of prayer. In all of the Gospels, Jesus repeats those words. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Not a house of singing, not a house of preaching, not a house of a, a coffee clatch. It is a house of prayer. And so that when we as believers come together, we come together as the body of Christ, which the scripture says is the church, the ecclesia. That is, we are the ruling authorities on the earth. See, I didn't know that, Pastor. That's what the scripture teaches, because you belong to another kingdom. I know there's the kingdom of this world, but there is a kingdom that rules over the kingdom of this world, and that is the kingdom of God. And when we became children of God, we were brought into that divine kingdom so that we could legislate kingdom authority. And so Jesus says, I've given you the keys to the kingdom, church, you're the ecclesia, I'm giving you the keys so that whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And how do we do that? We do that through prayer. So when we as a body come together and pray corporately, the efficacy and the power of that prayer depends in large part as to how much you and I individually 
are a house of prayer. And Jesus, in his teaching here, is teaching us as his disciples as to how we are to pray. The last time we were together, we talked about the importance of discipline that is required in order to become a house of prayer. I like what James uh, Alateran says, desire without discipline dissipates. You could, you could say, I have a desire to walk with the Lord. I have a desire to pray. But if that desire does not embrace the discipline that it requires, you will never become a house of prayer. So the challenge clearly this morning is this. God, help me to embrace the discipline of prayer. It takes discipline. God does promise that he will give us joy in the house of prayer because a lot of people think, oh, it's time to pray, and it's just drudgery. I want you to know that as you discipline yourself, as you engage in that place of prayer, you're going to find it is the most glorious place that you could ever be. It is the place that you're going to want to run to every day. It is that most special part of the day when you have an audience with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so it requires discipline. And we're looking at these five disciplines, the first of which we already spoke of is the who of prayer, you. Jesus said, and when you pray, not my mother, not my father, not my pastor, not my senior leader, not my Sunday school teacher, God calls me as his disciple to pray. Then the when of prayer, not if, but when you pray. Some people think that prayer is kind of take it or leave it. Oh, I pray when I go to church. Well, do you only breathe air when you wake up in the morning and then you cut off your airwaves? Prayer is the air that we breathe that gives us life, that communicates the revelation of who God is and what he is saying to our hearts. Now, the third discipline that Jesus prescribes is this. Go into your room. This is the where of prayer. You know, prayer needs to have a special place. And we need to ask ourselves this morning, do we have a designated special place where we go to pray? I think it was Susanna Wesley. I know it was Susanna. I can't remember how many children she had. I think nine I think there were nine. Can you imagine what a busy mother that she was? But she knew that Jesus said, go into your secret place. So what she would do was throw her apron over her head. While she was even doing chores, she would stop and throw her apron over her head, and that was her secret place. If you don't have a secret place, it's not going to be likely that you will develop in the discipline of prayer, whether that's by your bed. In, in my study, it's a special corner of my study that is just designated for prayer. It's a sacred place. I have a kneeler there where, and I also have a picture of Jesus on the cross. You might think, well, that's strange. But the Bible tells us that we're to always glory in the cross. And I acknowledge that it's because of the cross that I can have an audience with the king. 
It's because of what Jesus paid for me on that cross that while I was still a sinner, he bled and he died. And I want you to know this picture that I have of Jesus is not one of those sanitized pictures. You know, most pictures of Jesus on the cross, you, you just see him as, I mean, it's not pretty, but it's not ugly. And I was listening to Art Katz one day, and he talked about this painting that was done by Matthias Grunwald. I believe it's in Germany, and it's an altarpiece. But Grunwald painted a picture of Jesus as the scripture defines him and describes him. He was so disfigured that he did not even have the visage of a human being. That is how badly he was beaten and broken for my sin. The perfect son of the living God. And I know I'm getting off on a rabbit trail here, but I just wanted to explain to you, lest you say, oh, pastor, are you going back into Catholicism? Because I know our Catholic friends believe in the crucifix, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the crucifix will never save us. What saves us is recognizing that Jesus Christ died on the cross and he went into the grave, but he arose from the dead and he lives forevermore. But every day of our life, we thank God for the cross. We thank God for the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so we need to find a place because it's in that place that we could build history with God. I understand that some people would argue and say, Pastor, why do I need a special place and a special time to pray? I pray all day long. Well, yeah, I know the scripture says pray without ceasing. And we can pray all day long, but I, 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 I'm afraid that I must confess that I have a hard time praying when my mind is preoccupied with counseling, although in the back of my mind I'm praying, God, give me wisdom, give me the right words. But that cannot compare to a designated place and time where I get alone with God. That is so critical. And so many Christians today are living weak, anemic Christian lives. They're defeated. They can't win the victory over their pet sins. It's because they have no history with God. The, their relationship with God is come to church on Sunday morning, warm a pew, and that's it until next Sunday. If you want to have a relationship with God, you build that over time. And how do you build it? By relating and connecting. Can you imagine a couple getting married and having no connection? And yet... That's what happens in so many Christian lives. Oh, I asked Jesus into my heart, and then they have no connection with him all week long until Sunday rolls around. Oh, it's Sunday. I need to start thinking about God. What does the scripture say? In Jeremiah 29 and 11, God says, you will find me when you seek for me with all of your heart. And while you are on your job, I don't think while you're focused on what you're doing, you're able to seek God the way you would be able to in your secret place, where it's just you and God, where you have a private audience with him, where you're opening up your heart to him and asking him to open the revelation of who he is to you. 
And I think we need to admit this morning we're not finding God because we're not engaging with him with all of our heart. Now, fourthly, the fourth discipline of prayer is the how we pray. And Jesus said, when you go into your room, you must shut the door. This is really important. Because even though you might say, I've designated a place and a time to pray, if you don't shut the door, you're not going to be effective and successful in your prayer time because the enemy is going to send every imaginable distraction your way. I'd like to share just a few practical suggestions as to how you could war against distractions. First of all, we need to make ourselves unavailable. That's to say we find a time and place where we are unavailable, where we're off limits to other people, and we literally shut the door to all other voices. That means we turn our phones off. That means the enemy might say, oh, did you get an answer from so, or did they acknowledge your post on Facebook, or did they message me? I'm waiting for them to message me. No, 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 no. Those are all distractions from the enemy. So many other voices vying for our attention. And specifically, this requires we must learn how to be unavailable to other people, unavailable to other responsibilities, unavailable to our text messages, so that we could galvanize our focus on God. We need to understand this morning that when you start trying to be unavailable, Okay, God, I'm in prayer. Now I just want to focus on you. Boom. I forgot. I need to remember that I need to take care of that today. But you don't want to get up and do it then because that will completely sabotage your desire to spend time with God. Here's a practical suggestion. Just take a little notepad with you and scribble down. I can't tell you how long a list sometime I glean in my times of prayer but it helps me to stay focused on God because I know I'm not going to forget that important chore or task that I need to accomplish because of these bazillion other random thoughts that are coming into my mind. I want to remain undistracted. We need to find a way to keep our gaze solely on him. Another strategy, when our mind wonders, the enemy would come against you and say, why don't you just give it up? How can you say you really want to seek God and you've been here for three minutes and all you've been doing is thinking about everything else and you're worrying about this and you're excited about that? You haven't even spent a moment praying. We just need to turn our hearts to God and say, the devil is a liar. Lord, forgive my mind for wondering. I turn my heart back to you and I seek you with all my heart. And the Lord just receives us. He doesn't condemn us. He's there waiting. He's desirous and longing for us to commune and to fellowship with him. The third key of shutting the door is to engage personally with God. This is a time between you and God. 
not between you and your spouse, not between you and your pastor, not between you and anyone else. It's you and God, and what takes place behind closed doors is between you and God and not for anyone else's eyes and how you choose to engage with God, whether it's through worship music, whether it's through dancing before the Lord or praying prostrate or pacing the floor, it matters not. I know religious people have a certain idea that, oh, if I pray, I must be kneeling down. Some people, if they kneel down for too long, they're going to fall asleep. And so they pray better by just keeping their mind on the Lord and just pacing that little prayer area where they're praying and seeking God and just talking to God. But that's something that you need to discover for yourself. And it's so important that we don't try to mimic others or duplicate how they pray. Because God isn't looking for you to pray a certain way. He is looking for the posture of your heart. Is your heart in earnest in seeking God? As the deer pants after the water brook, so pants my soul after thee, my God. You know, some of us are loud and intense. Some of us are quiet and soft-spoken. But regardless, loud, quiet, just let your heart be seeking God. And let me add this encouragement, if I may, because I know that in my prayer life, it has been such a blessing. God has made available to us not only our natural language, but a supernatural, heavenly language. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Holy Spirit prays with groanings that cannot be uttered. And the Apostle Paul experienced this in his life, and I'd like to think if this was good enough for the Apostle Paul, then maybe it's something that should be good enough for me. He said, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I'll pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. There are two ways that we could pray. Praying with our understanding and then praying with our spirit. And if you've asked God to give you a prayer language, then you pray in your prayer language. And the blessing of praying in your prayer language is, God, I don't even know how to pray, but your spirit is praying through me. And your spirit is praying in such a way that I have the assurance you are hearing my prayer. And if you don't have a prayer language, I would like to encourage you to ask the Lord for it. The Bible teaches us that on the day of Pentecost, when the 120 in the upper room were filled with the Holy Spirit as Jesus promised, they began to speak with other tongues. And those that were standing by said, those are crazy people, and they're drunk. And Peter said, no, it's not the time of the day where people get drunk. This is that which was spoken by the Spirit that in the last days God will pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. And what did Peter say? This promise, this promise of the Holy Spirit is for you, 
for your children, for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Has the Lord called you to himself? If he has, then this gift, this baptism of the Holy Spirit is for you. You just need to ask God for it. He's more anxious to give it to you than you are to receive it, but he's not going to push something on you if you're not hungry for it. In the upper room, they tarried for 10 days for this promise. But now the Holy Spirit has come. And in an instant, as your heart is open, as your heart is hungry, and you just say, Spirit of God, fill me, he will do the rest. He will do the rest. Did not Jesus say, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? How preposterous is that? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Did you hear what Jesus said? He will give, not a Rolls Royce, because I know that's what some of you would like to have. Or maybe you'll settle for a Lincoln or a Cadillac. He will give the Holy Spirit. God gives us all that we need. Some of us get frustrated because we're not getting all that we want. But like a good parent, God knows what we need. And he knows that some things that we may want are not good for us. So he withholds them. And we need to trust the living Heavenly Father that when it seems he's not giving us what we want, he will give us what we want when we take our delight in him. Because then he will give us the desires of our heart and those desires will be in conformity what his will is and then we will have what we ask. And then the fifth discipline of prayer is devotion. Pray to your father who is in secret. You're not praying to check off a box to say, okay, I know I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to pray every day. I did it. This is the why of prayer. We come to the place of prayer to fellowship with God, to spend time with him. This is our identity as children of God. This is our identity as kingdom people. I am a person of prayer. He calls me a house of prayer. Therefore, I will schedule the time to pray. I will go and find a place to pray, and I will shut the door for what purpose? To commune with my Father. That's what the four disciplines are for, because they bring us to that place where we can fellowship with God. Now you just think about the most famous person in the world, the person that you admire most, the person that you're a million miles away from socially because you know you never get near them. They're just so famous and they're so popular, but you just admire them. And you'd think, oh, if, if I could only shake their hand. Do we realize that the king of the universe 
The God who created us is inviting us into an intimate fellowship and communion with him. He wants to have personal, intimate relationship with us. We are not there to bring our request. Yes, at some point in time during that prayer, we will bring our request. But primarily, it's come to experience his love and to pour our love out on him. How would we as parents feel if all our children did what daddy give me this and mommy give me that? And they never want to come and wrap their arms around our neck and say, daddy, I love you and mommy, I love you. Not for anything, I just love you. Because we've poured our love out on our children. They, they love us. God has poured out such amazing love on each and every one of us. Are we pouring that love back out on him? And so the overflow of that relationship is this intimacy that comes before we bring any request. Because you know when we, we just bring requests, you know what happens? it'll dry up the well because God doesn't always give us, as I said, everything that we want and everything that we ask for. But if relationship comes before request, then our hearts and our minds are always going to be in that place. I, I, just, want, I just want to be with Jesus. I, I have no other ulterior motive. It's not, not to get that raise. It's not to get that promotion. It's not to get that healing. It's, it's not for God to work out that challenge that I can't sort my way through. What did Jesus say? Seek first the kingdom of God. What's the kingdom of God? God, I want you to be glorified. It's, it's what we're going to see in just a moment here. It, it's seeing God's name being hallowed. It's seeing his will being done on earth. Not my will, his will, his plan, his purpose, his honor, his glory. For time and all eternity, it's all about him. When we love him like that, we're going to experience a revelation of who God is like we have never known. We're going to have the resolve of David when he said, one thing, see, I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. He was after relationship. There are three facets of this one thing. One, to dwell in the house of the Lord. I I just want to be with him. I want to be in his presence. I I want to, to dwell means to live, not, not a visit. See what happens when you spend quality time with God At the beginning of the day, you go through your day with an awareness of your... You've built a foundation under your feet. So when the temptations, when the trials come, you've got the grace of God and the peace of God. Yeah, it's always there for God's people, but sometimes it's hard to get to if we've not cultivated that relationship with him. We've not heard his voice. He's not given us rhema to feed our souls and nurture us and nourish us that we can stand strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. One thing have I desired of the Lord, to gaze upon his beauty. I want to behold him in all of his glory. You know, the disciples walked with Jesus for three and a half years, and they just saw him as a man until they went up on the Mount of Transfiguration and saw his glory, who he really is. And I I fear that most of us today don't really understand who he really is, what he really looks like. Eyes that are blazing with fire. 
a love that is a, a fiery passion that wants to consume the very core of our being so that we live only for his honor and glory. A passion that is so great that we're not tempted to fall headlong into that pet sin. We've it's become disgusting and sickening to us because we just love God. We've experienced his love. It becomes the passion of our life to live for him. I want to see him. I want to be filled with the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And thirdly, I want to inquire in his temple, to engage in intimate dialogue as friend to friend. The psalmist calls it deep, calling unto deep. And when we do this, verse 6, and my father who sees in secret will reward you openly. God loves to reward us, but he's rewarding those who've prayed in secret. Who've prayed in secret. Church, God is calling us to the secret place of prayer. If High Street Worship Center is to become truly a house of prayer, corporately, then individually we must become a people of prayer. But it also requires that we pray as Jesus taught. For he warns us, and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for the many words. Just parroting a prayer. Some people think, well, I, I, I prayed 10 times that prayer, so that must be good. God's pleased. God is saying those, those words are vain and futile. It's an exercise in futility. You really didn't pray because you were just mouthing words. You're parroting words. Where was your heart? Were you trying to communicate and fellowship with me? So Jesus teaches us what to pray, and he gave us what is known as the Lord's Prayer, but we know that's a misnomer. Jesus doesn't need to pray that prayer. This is not his prayer. His prayer is John 17. Pastor Terry's been dealing with that beautiful chapter. This is the disciples' prayer. This is the prayer that we need to pray. And it's not a prayer that we need to parrot. It's a prayer that is a template that will lead us into all the facets of prayer that we need to pray. It's a roadmap for life. And as you look at this prayer, and don't get nervous. I know I cannot teach on the Lord's Prayer this morning because I, I realize that I faced a conundrum as I was preparing this message. <laughs> because I, I started going through the Lord's Prayer and I'm thinking, this is 12 sermons. How am I going to preach it in one? So the Lord led me to three composites of the Lord's Prayer that give us an overall picture of the full meaning of this wonderful prayer. So we're just going to look at it in that scope, and I want you to know that as I review this with you quickly this morning, you're going to see what I'm saying on the screen, but I copied this for you, so those who want to, to take copies of these into your prayer closet, I want you to do so. But the first one is what hinders us from praying the Lord's Prayer, and I believe this is so important, because if I... Let me start over. I cannot say our if I live only for myself. Media, are you there with us? 
Did I skip something there? Okay, I'll go to that. Let, let me go to that first, if that's where you're at in your... Okay, John MacArthur views prayer as a, this Lord's Prayer, as we call it, as a multifaceted description of who God is. So when we pray our Father, we acknowledge God as our source. Aren't you thankful that he's your source for everything that you have need of? When you pray, hallowed be thy name, you acknowledge God as sacred. He's worthy of worship. When you pray, thy kingdom come, you acknowledge God as sovereign. He's over every other kingdom. When you pray, thy will be done, you acknowledge him as superior. Not my will, but your will be done. When you pray, give us this day our daily bread, you acknowledge him as supporter. He will meet all of your needs. When you pray, forgive us our sins, you acknowledge he is your savior. And when you confess your sin, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you of all sin. When you pray, lead us not into temptation, you acknowledge he is your shelter in the time of storm. And when you pray, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, you acknowledge him as supreme. Isn't that beautiful? So when you pray the Lord's Prayer, know this, that God is all in all and everything you will ever need. And Media, if you can't find this, I'm just going to read it because it's so good and it's so important. I cannot say if I live only for myself. I cannot say, Father, if I do not act like his child. I cannot say in heaven if I am laying up no treasure there. I cannot say, hallowed be thy name, if I am not striving for holiness. I cannot say your kingdom come if I am not living in kingdom dominion. I cannot say your will be done if I'm disobedient to his word. I cannot say on earth as it is in heaven if I'm not serving him here and now. I cannot say give us this day our daily bread if I seek things by deception. I cannot say forgive us our sins if I harbor a grudge against anyone. I cannot say lead us not into temptation if I place myself deliberately in its path. I cannot say deliver us from evil if I do not put on the whole armor of God. I cannot say yours is the kingdom if I do not give the king the loyalty due him from a faithful subject. I cannot attribute to him the power if I fear what men may do. I cannot ascribe to him the glory if I'm seeking honor only for myself. And I cannot say forever if the horizon of my life is only bounded by time. Is not this prayer a feast? I want to encourage you to take it into your prayer closet. Meditate on the aspects of God. Meditate as you examine your own heart. God, can I really pray this prayer? Are there areas of my life that need to come into conformity with yours?
And as we come to a close this morning, this third composite that I want to share with you is by Sylvia Gunter. She's an intercessor who is pretty widely known uh, throughout the Christian circle and has written a wonderful manual on prayer which includes this prayer. And so I want us to pray this prayer together. I want us to savor every word and pray it from the bottom of our hearts. Our Father, Abba, I belong to you. You are my intimate Papa. That's the truth from which I live and breathe today. Who art in heaven, you are the I am, the same yesterday, today, and every day. All your promises are now yes and amen. Hallowed be your name. Show yourself holy this day of my life in my thoughts, motives, conversations, and actions toward others. Let me not disgrace your holiness. By your wonderful names, show me that you are the peace that I need, the victory I want, the guiding security I long to feel, the day star in dark times. Your kingdom come. Reign in my life as you rule heaven. Come as king in righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. Your will be done on earth. Be done, will of God, for Jesus lives in me, delighting to do your will. In my heart and my tasks, do your will as it is perfectly done in heaven. Before we go to the next slide, I just need to make this comment. In the Greek language, that prayer, your will be done on earth. We've always interpreted it as something that is very passive. Okay, God, whatever you want. But no, when the Ecclesia prays that prayer, it's prayed as a command. Be done, will of God. Be done, will of God, on earth, even as it is in heaven. Kingdom of God, come. This is not optional. This is not wishy-washy and vacillating. No, this is the desperate cry and declaration of every child of God who belongs to the kingdom of God. Come, kingdom of God. Be done, will of God. That person is sick. Be done, will of God. Bring your healing virtue. That person is in depression. Bring the peace of God, the grace of God, the wholeness of God. Defeat the power of darkness. Be done, will of God. Hallelujah. Give us this day our daily bread. Let me remember who puts the food on my table and gives me the breath I breathe. You are my moment-by-moment moment strength for each step I take. Forgive me my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. I want to tear up the IOUs I'm holding because of wrongs against me. I want to keep short accounts holding no offenses and no unforgiveness. Lead me not into temptation. I don't want to act out of my own weakness or wounded flesh, which is no excuse, just a plea for more of your grace. 
where sin and the need for healing abound, your grace much more abounds. Deliver me from evil. Protect me from physical and spiritual harm because greater are you in me than my adversary who is in the world. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. I bow to your sovereign control. You have all power and all ability to do all things well, and I want your glory to take the credit for every answer. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. All the glory to you, Lord. Hallelujah. I want to close with one last quote this morning. It's by S.D. Gordon. He lived in Philadelphia in the early 1900s. He was a man of prayer and wrote prolifically on the subject. And he said these words, the greatest thing anyone can do for God and man is to pray. It is not the only thing, but it is the chief thing. The great people of the earth today are people who pray. People who pray. Are we people who pray? Are we a house of prayer? We are living in a world that is so sin sick. I feel like I've blinked my eyes in America has become something I've never known it to be. I know there's always been sin, there's always been perversion, there's always been darkness, but now it is on a scale that is just beyond comprehension and all description. We are truly living in the last days, Christian friends. We are living in perilous times. If we ever needed to pray, we need to pray now. If America ever needed revival, it needs revival now. How quickly America has spiraled downward, where once we would blush at the sight of certain things, now they are blatantly declared and praised and honored. And even we as Christians are made to, you better accept that or you're a bigot. We need to get woke. I say we need to wake up to righteousness. We need to wake up to truth. We need to wake up to holiness. And we will never wake up until we get in the holy place and we experience God and the reality of who he is, that the burden of his heart becomes the burden of our heart, that that which he hates is that which we hate, and that which he loves is that which we love. It was about 20 years ago that Kathy and I were at an Eagle's Wings conference, and there was this powerful move of the Holy Spirit there was a, a hush in the place because God's presence was so strong. And Sunday at Elijah, some of you might know him, he was a Nigerian who pastored a very large church in the Ukraine. He was the conference speaker. And as he was praying, he said, I just feel led to ask one of my young brothers who's a member of my church who just landed in the States 
to come and pray for America. This brother's name was Yuri Binder. He was a Ukrainian Jew. He was part of this church in the Ukraine. It is so vivid in my mind, and it's just so... I hadn't come across this in years. And just this week, I came across this recording. He fell on his knees, and in his broken English, he cried out to God. I want us to listen to that prayer this morning and ask ourselves, God, do we know you in this way? Do we pray with that kind of fervency and passion with what your heart feels for what you see that is happening in the world today? So, media, if you could play that for us. Do you have it or no? We'll give you six seconds. There was more to that SD Gordon quote that I'll share with you. He continued by saying, I do not mean those who talk about prayer, nor those who say they believe in prayer, nor yet those who can explain about prayer, but I mean the people who take time and pray. No, they don't have the time, but it's taken from something else. This something else is important, very important and pressing, but still less important and less pressing than prayer. There are people that put prayer first and group the other items in life's schedule around and after prayer. May God help us. Jesus! America thinks that she knows you. America thinks that she's fellowshipping with you. the new dimension, totally new life, totally new relationships start all over the country, like a flames of fire, passionate love, passionate love, passionate love, passionate love, let the true worshipers would come. True worshipers. True worshipers who know you. Know you. Who know you. Who know you. Who seek you more than anything else. Jesus. Let the country stop running for money. But stop, start running for your presence. Every day, 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 every day. Let it become priority number one to find you every day. Jesus, Jesus. 
Turn America back. Turn America back into the loving relationships, passionate relationships. Oh, like a bride. Let it fall in love with you. Let it fall in love. Let it run to you like to a date. Every day, let believers in their secret rooms, let they run to you like to their beloved. Let they wake up and they dream about you. Let pastors dream about kissing you, about hugging you, about spending hours and hours and hours just hugging you. Let pastors forget about building churches, but would remember about loving you. Jesus, let America be falling off again. Father, we pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would fall upon us with passion for you, that you would find us worthy to have your heart, that you would fill us with love for that which you love and hatred for that which you hate, that you would find us as intercessors who stand on the wall and cry out unto you day and night and give you no rest, that you restore America, that you send a mighty Holy Ghost revival to America once again, and that that revival begins in our hearts, that that revival begins in our homes, that that revival begins at High Street Worship Center. God, God, we cry out to you today. Send your spirit. We need you. We need you. We are a lukewarm people. We are full of lethargy and apathy and complacency. Stare our hearts with fresh passion for you today, God, and make us a people of prayer. Make us a house of prayer. Make us a people who walk in intimate fellowship and communion with you, that we hear your voice, that we walk in your ways, that we do your will, that we advance your kingdom, that we have ears to hear, hearts to obey, and feet that are swift to do what your voice tells us to do, even when it may feel uncomfortable. Because, Lord, we want to be your hand extended. We know, God, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. We need your Holy Spirit. Baptize us afresh and anew with your spirit today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.